Welcome to Spew, Spectrum People Enjoying Wizardry. I'm Quirinus, and I have Asperger's Syndrome. I'm Lavender, and my daughter, Abby Kadabby, has nonverbal autism. And I now call this 40th meeting of Spew to order. Lavender. Hello, Queerness. How are you? We're good. We're good. How are you? Good. Good. Nothing exciting's happened or hasn't happened. You're not starting to get, like, busy for spring or anything? No. That always seems to be a thing. Actually, slowing down a bit. Hmm. Well, this month is my fiancé, we call him Papa Bear, is uh, Papa Bear's birthday. So that's exciting. Okay. It's Horace Slughorn's birthday on the 28th. We also have a death. Aragog on the 20th. Mm. Giant spiders. What are we talking about today, Queerness? So today, we're going to talk about the first ten chapters of Deathly Hallows. Trying to find some autism metaphors. This book really goes, it's very action-y, right off the bat. Mm-hmm. There, there's no more exposition. There's no more real exposition? No. Like, you're, you're not meeting the characters anymore. At this point, you're expected to know who they are, and she rushes through introductions very fast. Well, okay. I see what you mean. So there, there's less interpersonal stuff, at least here in the beginning. There's a lot more action. Well, yeah, in the very first chapter, there's a, you know, a pretty violent death. And it's a very short chapter. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> I like all the chapters without Harry in them. Which are few and far between. <laughs> one or two at the beginning of a book here and there. I didn't really see many metaphors of autism in this chapter, honestly. It was so short and, like you said, so action-y. The only thing that I really kind of picked up, even slightly, was, and it's a Voldemort quote, is, but I know better now. I understand things that I did not understand before. I also got a... Voldemort quote kind of in this vein that Potter lives is due more to my errors than to his triumphs. Yeah, I liked that one. Voldemort's doing a lot of growing up and realization in this chapter. <laughs> Basically. And, and speaking of the violent death, all of the Death Eaters were looking up at the captive now as though they have been given permission to show curiosity. Yeah. I like some of these descriptions of emotions. Yeah, I can see what I can see what you mean. The first chapter was hard for me to find stuff, so yeah. Yeah. And in the next chapter, in memoriam, he had to admit to himself that this jagged cut in his finger would have defeated him. He had never learned how to repair wounds. And now he came to think of it, particularly in light of his immediate plans, this seemed a serious flaw in his magical education. Yeah, what's up with that? Yeah, I don't think we ever see them learning any, like, healing spells in a class. It's always like, Hermione researched and she found that Essence of Dittany was, like, great for everything. Or somehow Luna knew how to repair a busted nose, but we never know how they learned these things. Because they definitely don't have health class. And that should be a thing. It really should. 
Quidditch can't be the only sport or the only physical activity that's required. Not everybody likes Quidditch. Did you call Quidditch a physical activity? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're playing it. <laughs> so I guess. Some acrobatics in the midair, you know. It's possible. Not everybody just sits on their broom queerness <laughs> for an easy ride. Harry mostly spends the game just sitting on his broom. <laughs> and watching. <laughs> and watching. <laughs> I wrote to Albus describing, perhaps insensitively, the wonders of my journey from narrow escapes from chimeras in Greece. This was when Doge? Is that how we say it? Doge? I think so. When he went on his world tour, graduation tour, whatever, and Dumbledore couldn't go with. Yeah. I the, the fact where he says, describing perhaps insensitively, this is the part that spoke to me, because I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, I want to fight chimeras in Greece. You want to fight them? Run from them? Yo, okay. That, that's very different. <laughs> we have to be clear. The only thing I got from this chapter, honestly, was <laughs> how Harry was attempting to really, like, tidy up, organize his life before, you know, finally leaving the Dursleys for good, and how he did end up doing some of that, but he really just kind of walked around and picked things up and put it in a different place, and then forgot where they were and went and kind of did the whole cycle over again. That's very much how I clean. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm trying, but my brain just doesn't organize well. Pick up the laundry from over here. Take it to the washing machine. Take the stuff out of the dryer. Take that somewhere else. And then forget about the laundry for two hours. Mm-hmm. It's a whole process. <laughs> Harry guessed that his uncle was attempting to ward off recollections of an unannounced visit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nice, subtle reference to when their wall was blown apart um, because they had an electric fireplace. Mm -hmm. It was so very like his uncle to put his hopes in the establishment, even one within a world he despised and mistrusted. I don't know why, but that really just cracked me up. <laughs> yes. Dur uncle Dursley's a dead dirt. Yep. <laughs> Hestia Jones and Daedalus Diggle are more than up to the job. If we'd seen their CVs, began Uncle Vernon, but Harry lost patience. <laughs> Harry has had it up to here. He is done. <laughs> this is one of those weird cases where, as the series goes on, less and less stuff becomes translated in the American version. Mm -hmm. And so random things like CVs doesn't get changed to resume. But there's other things that I've noticed, because I'm still listening to the British audiobook while reading the American book. <laughs> and so there's a couple things here and there that I was like, well, that's weird that they say that. There's other things that they did not change, and it's confusing. Who can explain? <laughs> <laughs> I just love how Harry is just almost like, he's like one step away from being like, you know what? That's fine. Just, just stay. I'll leave. You stay. It's fine. Dudley, if you want to listen to sense, you go too. <laughs> but Vernon, you specifically, you, you stay. And then when Hestia Jones and Dickle do get there and they're just like, good day, Harry Potter's relatives. It makes me, makes me happy. <laughs> the realization that Harry has probably never told any of them their names. Uncle Vernon was offended when he asked if he knew how to drive, and this made me very happy. <laughs> and he's just like, very clever of you, sir. Very clever. <laughs> I myself could never. 
And Vernon's just like, they can't even drive. And he loses, like, all hope. Almost. Uh, and, and then when, they, when they're about to leave and... And Vernon, like, goes to shake Harry's hand, but it says in the book, he swung his right arm upward to shake Harry's hand, but at the last moment seemed unable to face it, and merely closed his fist and swung it backward and forward like a metronome. <laughs> <laughs> and I have definitely been there. Like, I have done that almost exactly. Although rather touched, he was nevertheless quite relieved that Dudley appeared to have exhausted his ability to express his feelings. <laughs> oh, we had the same note. <laughs> I know. This one, this one's probably the best one that we've come across. I think so too. Also, it's very sad that this scene got cut from the movie because you can watch the deleted scene and they, they shortened this quite a bit, and it's just kind of they're packing up the car like it cuts the other two showing up, and it's just a short conversation between him and Dudley, and also with. Um, With Petunia, right? Petunia, yeah. And it's just a nice short little scene that ultimately just got cut for time. Yeah, I've seen it, but I don't like the one with Petunia because guess what? That didn't happen. (laughs) If it had happened, that would have been touching, but it's not canon. (laughs) I thought it kind of helped bring some closure that kind of happened in the last book, but not in the movie. It may have been in Order of the Phoenix that I'm kind of thinking of. Some emotions from Petunia that we didn't get in the movie. True. Through, well, throughout the entire movie series, I would say. Yeah. The Seven Potters. Yes. So the first thing here that I was super confused about, why did the Order leave him alone in the house? It was only for a few moments. Like, it, it wasn't is. for very long. It, it, true. And yes, they assume that there are still protections, but it's still very confusing that he's just left alone in the house. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of I'm kind of jumping the gun in the chapter a little bit here, but not only why did they leave him alone for a few minutes, but further on in the chapter, why was Harry put with Hagrid to get to the relocation point? That makes no sense to me still to this day. I don't care what anybody says. There is no logic that really supports that that was a good idea. Like from us, it seems like that would be the obvious choice. But to the order, they were like, we're going to put him with the least capable person because they would never expect that. But anyone who actually knows Harry would think that he would be with Hagrid. And the little tiny sidecar, though? That's all I'm saying. Not necessarily that Hagrid was incapable, but that they could have chose a better method of transportation. Or at least a different method of transportation for Harry's items. Sidecar seems safe, even if it was uncomfortable. I disagree, but that's okay. (laughs) I mean, it seems safe. Harry lost the thread of his thoughts for a moment, and Hedwig did nothing to help him retrieve it. A shame. (laughs) (laughs) And Floor gave Bill a soppy, slavish look that he hoped with all of his heart would never appear on his face again. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I, I love how this scene was filmed, because... They had all of the individual actors do the scene so that Daniel Radcliffe had reference for each of the characters to try to replicate. <laughs> really? Yeah, and they, they did the same thing later with Bellatrix and Emma Watson. Oh yeah, I did read that. Uh, which makes that scene so good. This was done, this scene was done really well and fairly, fairly true to the source material. <laughs> 
And then, then the revelation that Stan is actually with them. And Harry keeps insisting that he's under the Imperius curse, but... Would someone under the Imperius curse really just be flying with the Death Eaters like this? I don't know, maybe? I mean, I think so. But they did so much to try to get him free and were defending him all throughout the last book and... Or last two books? I mean, Stan's Shunpike comes up way more than just a normal bus driver that we... Or not even a bus driver, but a bus guide? <laughs> I don't... A bus man um, that we only met once, really. Then I think he should. I mean, good lord. We hear Stan's Shunpike so many times from Prisoner of Azkaban on. Yeah, it's, it's really weird. I... He's just a weird recurring character. And I'm not sure if we're supposed to be rooting for him or against him or how we're supposed to feel about him. It's a mystery. Also, and I'm going to keep fighting this, um, Hedwig was not hit by Avada Kedavra. There was a flash, then a squawk, and then she passed out. We don't know what spell was used, and also she squawked after being hit. I didn't dissect this moment like that because it's sad and I just try to skim it and get it over with. Harry blows her up. No, sir. Okay, we, mm, that was rude. This has bothered me since the first time I read this. No one else reads it this way. We don't know what she was hit with. It could have just been a stunning spell. <laughs> Especially if... We don't know who was casting it, so if it was Snape, it could have been a stunning spell. You have uh, rocked my world with this revelation, and now I have to go back and reread it. Alright, we can move on. <laughs> so, now we're to the fallen warrior, and Harry just keeps blaming himself, even though well, yeah. he acts like it was his choice, and it really wasn't. <laughs> Everyone else just, like, made him go along with the plan. Mm. He's like, no, I consented, though. And it's like, man, you didn't... <laughs> kind of. <laughs> he could hear the self-justifying note in his voice, the plea for her to understand why he did not know what had happened to her sons. But thank goodness you're all right, she said, pulling him into a hug he did not feel he deserved. We have kind of the same note. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if nothing else, this chapter really notes the brilliance of Molly Weasley as a character and how critical she is to Harry. Molly Weasley for president. I love her so much. And then no words occurred to him that didn't seem hollow and insincere when um, I think he was trying to talk to Tonks' dad. <laughs> he was either trying to talk to Tonks' dad or to, to Molly. And I just, I struggle with this constantly. Like, if somebody tells me something bad, it's not that I don't have empathy or sympathy for it. I just don't know what to say to convey to them that I'm sorry for what they're going through without it seeming hollow and insincere. I think that uh, the author described this very well. I am very happy that Facebook has finally added the carry emoji thing. Yeah, I like that. It's the, it's like the first one that they added that actually feels like it's useful. <laughs> yeah. Still waiting on the vomit react, though. <laughs> Lupin was making Harry feel idiotic, and yet there was still a grain of defiance inside him. Okay, I don't think Lupin should be making, or attempting to make, anybody feel idiotic, because when Lupin and George got back from, you know, the mission, and George is injured, him and Harry end up carrying him 
like by shoulders and by feet and like roughly shuffling him into the burrow. Y'all are wizards. Why didn't anybody just like, phew, just magic him into the house? That could have injured him worse. That bothers me. Huh. Well, I think Harry's first reaction would not be to use magic in this case. Well, that makes sense to me. But Lupin? Right. I, the fact, I, I think partly at least some panic is affecting their thinking. But yeah, the, the fact that nobody thinks to do this at any point is interesting. Harry hated the idea that they were all imagining him to have power to match Voldemort's. Yeah, poor Harry, because, like, he, it's not like he ever lies. He never even, like, exaggerates and, and it tries to give people the idea that he has this kind of power. He's just like, no, I just, I need to do what needs to be done, guys, and I don't even use Avada Kedavra. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I get where Harry's coming from. I just very much feel like, people seem to think that I have superhuman knowledge of certain subjects and I don't feel like I have enough to actually do what they want me to do mm. like things like teaching people about cell phones and stuff like that yeah all right how about a trivia question sure now I think you already know this one I thought this was a good one but then you like answered it earlier Mm-hmm. Which order of the Phoenix members arrive to escort the Dursleys away? Is it Kingsley and Mrs. Fig, Alphaeus and Mundungus, Daedalus and Hestia, or Tonks and Lupin? <laughs> this is Jeffrey, the financial advisor for Spew at Gringotts Bank. And now we return to Spew. All right, Lavender. Which order of members arrive to escort the Dursleys away? This one was an easy one. Daedalus and Hestia. Yeah. I, for some reason, when I first saw it, my brain went Alphaeus and Mundungus, and then I'm going, no. Whoa, that's a that's... weird knee-jerk reaction. <laughs> All right, who's Puddlemore United Socks? We never find out. This is troubling to me. <laughs> Which one of these people is a Puddlemore United fan? I don't know why this is so troubling, but the fact that these socks exist... And I can't figure out whose socks they would be, confuse and baffle me. Well, I mean, there's a lot of people to potentially choose from, so... But not that are, like, staying in the house at this time, though. Hey, it might have been an old one of Percy's. Okay, okay, I'll accept that. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's what I'm gonna go with. (laughs) This is also when we see Mrs. Weasley's pure psychological chore warfare to prevent, like, everybody even, like, everybody trying to see each other or give them any alone time to try to work out a plan. Like, it was masterfully done. Didn't matter in the end, but no. it was very well done. Doesn't she do <laughs> she... this in Order of the Phoenix also? Yeah. Maybe not to this extent, but it does And with no in... real goal in mind. She wasn't trying to prevent them from talking, I don't think. She was just trying to prevent them from listening to Order of the Phoenix meetings. True. She was still using chores to prevent people from listening to plants. That's true. So psychological chore warfare, courtesy of Molly Weasley. Hermione slamming travels with trolls onto the discard pile with a rather fierce look. Why does she have travels with trolls? Isn't that a Lockhart book? 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I I was so like I had to like stop while I was reading, just like pause for a second. I'm just like, why why does she have a Lockhart book? Maybe she just still had all of her books and she was going through them. I don't think she took it. That that was the discard pile for a reason. I'm yeah. (laughs) Also, just what Hermione did to her parents is awful. Okay. Not super logical. I don't think. That's all I have to say about that. I think it was brilliant, and I don't really know what other options she would have. I, I'm confused as to why she thinks anyone would bother talking to her parents or going there or even caring that she existed. These are nah. Death Eaters we're talking about. Yeah, but exactly. So Hermione is, you know, muggle-born. So they would and, pretend and, she doesn't exist. No, I don't think so. They know that she is definitely the brains of the entire Harry Potter operation. Yeah. I mean, Snape at least does. Which means that they all know. I think that they would go after Hermione, and it's not far-fetched to say that they would go after her parents to try to manipulate her. Yeah, they they may not even try to get anything out of her parents and just torture them just because. Right, right. I don't think it's far-fetched. And in that scene in the movie, there's a Game of Thrones actor. It's <laughs> <laughs> true. And is Ron a conspiracy theorist? I think I've made this note before in a different book somewhere. Yes. Constantly. It's usually (laughs) about Snape. (laughs) Well, this time about Mad-Eye. Well, Mad-Eye and and Dumbledore. He's always like, maybe Dumbledore's still alive. And same thing now with Mad-Eye. Maybe Mad-Eye's still alive. It's like, man... He just comes up with some pretty far-fetched things sometimes. Well, when when they show up at the the Black House and Mad-Eye's voice calls out, my first thought was like, "Wait, Mad-Eye's actually alive? I don't remember that." Yeah, I can see. I can see where you would think that. They never tell what spell that is. I know we're not re- we're not in that chapter yet, but they never say what spell that is. Nah, does it matter? Kinda. I want to know. Harry also tried tying the laces of his trainers by magic. The resultant knot took several minutes to untie by hand. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, first thing he does is gets his glasses <laughs> off the table and hits himself in the eye. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably something I would do. These arbitrary laws based entirely on the exactness of a birthday is stupid. Eh, I mean, yeah, but... That's also how it works. <laughs> yes. And I don't know why, but for some reason, when when Ron gives Harry his birthday present, the oh, I should have wrote the title of the book down, but you know, it's basically the the flirting book, the how to flirt book. <laughs> and he tells him it isn't all about wand work either. Does Ron really think that wooing involved any wand work? <laughs> Uh, this is a very Ron book. <laughs> I mean, I agree. Well, and he originally got it from Fred and George. <laughs> Fred and George left the party with some girls and didn't return. With some Vila girls. 
This is a dangerous book. <laughs> this is my favorite one so far. And also, Hagrid historically just gives the best birthday gifts. I mean, he's given a few duds over the years too, but historically, if you take into account all that we've seen, he gives the best birthday gifts, the most practical at least, and I'm a big fan of practical gifts. Hagrid, Hagrid, decent with gifts. I guess if you average it all out, yes, decent. (laughs) But my favorite. The Harry Brown suit returned. (laughs) Yeah, we saw the return (laughs) of the Harry Brown suit. Harry tried to put a lot of unsaid things into a hug, and perhaps she understood them. I, I like, I like this one. Yeah. Nonverbal communication with lots of meaning. <laughs> it makes me happy. <laughs> and then the new Minister of Magic pops by, on Harry's birthday, no less, to, uh-huh. to give the Golden Trio, I guess, the the items left for them by Albus Dumbledore, and Hermione is like calling. Scrimmageur out on his crap. He's sh- she's just like, oh no, you took thirty-one days to examine it. That's why it's taking so long. And he, he said, are you gonna pursue a career in magical law? And she said, no. I'm hoping to do some good in the world. <laughs> <laughs> when she said no, I actually was kind of disappointed. <laughs> I know because it seems like it would be a great career path for Hermione. Am I right? Very much so. Hermione answered, however. Harry thought that answering questions correctly was such a deeply ingrained habit that she could not suppress the urge. Yeah, I wanted to write that one down too, but I saw you had already. So we had the same note again. (laughs) That one's... yeah, I have that problem. (laughs) And then we get to the wedding. Dun-da-da-da! And they have a big giant tent and... All these guests show up, and I wrote down that it was just like the season finale of The Great British Bake Off. And I think that you are correct. <laughs> it, it was just exciting. Also cake. <laughs> Lots and of cake. chaos everywhere. Yes. I never did understand that. Like, why do they have a fair for the finale and just all their family just shows up? It's so random. <laughs> No, we do not question Great British Bake Off, sir. No, no, no. I think it's brilliant. <laughs> they have a bouncy castle for some reason. Because they have kids. <laughs> and they need something to entertain them so they don't mess up the cake. <laughs> Hagrid was causing a certain amount of disruption. Having misunderstood Fred's directions, he sat himself not upon the magically enlarged and reinforced seat set aside for him in the back row, but on five seats that now resemble the large pile of golden matchsticks. <laughs> Poor Hagrid. I know, he tries so hard. But how do you misunderstand that, good grief? <laughs> I don't know. I blame if Fred. You see, if you see the larger chair, and you are in fact a larger man, and then you see all the little tiny chairs that you know you're not going to fit in, <sighs> Hagrid might have been drinking beforehand. Possibly. <laughs> Then we meet Xenophilus Lovegood in this chapter, and we see, you know, exactly Luna's uh, origins, and everything makes a lot more sense. And and Crumb shows (laughs) up and is angry. (laughs) Angry, kind of rude, and kind of a... I don't know. He becomes less likable. I'm not sure he was ever likable, but sure. I mean, he was very neutral to me, but now not so much. Harry could simply choose not to believe... Didn't Doge understand Harry 
sense need to be sure to know everything. Yeah, <laughs> that one hit. Why, why do people not understand that I need to know everything? Well, I mean, why would anybody want to give just partial... I mean, want to knowingly give partial knowledge. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. I guess in this scenario, it's different because it's like Dumbledore's, you know, personal information mm-hmm. that he that he himself ne- never shared with Harry. So, like, I can see that. But no, I get what you're saying. Like, I want to know all of the facts that I can about something and make my own decision. Yeah. All of the facts. All the, 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 the facts. Of the things. Thing. All right. Then we get to the... Jinxes that Mad-Eye put in place for Snape. And they were stupid. But there was, like, only one. There was two. It temporarily made their tongue feel funny, and then he yelled at him. Oh, I thought that that was all the same thing. Okay. Yeah, no, that's terrible. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, how is that going to keep anyone out? What? (laughs) I really don't understand the tongue-tying jinx, because it literally just, like, made their tongues uncomfortable, and then it ended. Right. It's a very short amount of time. I mean, I think the only benefit is maybe during that time you can't say a spell. But if I mean, but if you're if you're freaking Severus Snape, you can do nonverbal spells. Right. I I thought maybe that the spell realized that they weren't Snape, but then like then why did it activate anyway? I don't know. No, I agree. I I think Mad Eye um, may have lost his uh, touch. Uh- you were full of it today, queerness, sir. <laughs> you are sassy today. Truthful. Sassy. <laughs> the thing that struck me in this chapter, and I don't even think it's any type of uh, autism reference, but like, as soon as they disapparate away from the wedding and they're trying to, they're like, where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Ron's like, let's just go to the Leaky Cauldron. Let's go (laughs) to the pub. And like, he keeps doing that over and over. We could just kip over here for a second. It'll be fine. And it's like, Mm. dude, I know he, I know he understands the magnitude of the situation that they are in, but he doesn't. (laughs) Like, I love Ron, but I don't love Ron. People always talk about him being dumbed down in the movie, but I don't see it. (laughs) I mean, he is in certain instances because there are there are some areas that Ron, you know, excels in <laughs> and is better at than the other two. Not many, but they're there and they never highlight those and they just show like all negative aspects of Ron. <laughs> Although there, there's one specific moment that people always talk about as being like the iconic moment of Ron being done down and I very much disagree and that is in Chamber of Secrets Snape says the thing about his wand causes devastation even on the best of days or something like that and in the book he's talking about Neville which is awful but in the movie they switched it to Ron which I felt was more of a reference to his wand being broken, which there wasn't very many references to in the movie. And so I just felt that that was a logical change that made nobody feel stupider. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That's my rant. Moving on. I have a lot of rants today. I think that this next chapter is one of my favorites in the whole series. It's um, quite wild and unexpected. 
but great storytelling and a good, I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't really give any closure, but it provides more information that we need. Yes. A lot of information, very quickly and clearly. Like, all in just this one chapter. (laughs) Also, Mundungus hurt creature. Yeah. I don't care if it's creature, Mundungus did it and he's mean. And by by Mundungus hurt him, I mean he took his stuff. (laughs) And it was physically painful to creature. He took his shinies. Creature hurt himself because Mundungus took his stuff. So I blame Mundungus for hurting Creature. Yeah, but then Creature got a whack in with a frying pan. So I think that they're even. (laughs) And I have this great Ron quote. What's up? If it's massive spiders again, I want breakfast before. (laughs) The assumption that it's massive spiders. Like... Obviously, there's not going to be an acromantula in the house, but there could well, still be a massive spider. Bron thinks all spiders are massive. <laughs> but do you really want a full stomach? You know, that's that's a personal choice. <laughs> that's a personal choice. And then, I don't know why, but one of my favorite quotes is actually at the very end of this chapter, and it's, It took them nearly half an hour to calm down Creature, who was so overcome to be presented with a black family heirloom for his very own, that he was too weak at the knees to stand properly. <laughs> I just think it was a very accurate description of a reasonable amount of time it can take to overcome, you know, an emotional upheaval of any sorts. I like the way Harry was like, when you're feeling up to it, let's sit up and talk. <laughs> <laughs> it's very sweet. Also, just a weird little side note. On the previous chapter, when Harry goes into the bathroom and so he can like use the scar powers to spy on Voldemort (laughs) and then passes out. The last paragraph where Hermione is offering a toothbrush, Mm -hmm. that is not on the British version of the audiobook. That paragraph was apparently added. Really? Yep. What what an odd (laughs) thing to either add or or omit from a story. Okay. (laughs) Because it really is a completely pointless, other than just, like, clarifying that he is okay. It doesn't do anything extra. Maybe it's to show that Harry Potter supports dental health. (laughs) (laughs) Or Hermione, I guess. Since her parents are dentists. Do we not have any news today? No, I don't get anything. Well, that's okay. We have a we had a pretty good thorough review of the first ten chapters, I think. <laughs> but complaining about not finding anything, we talked a lot. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Uh, if you would like to join our conversation, you can send us some owl mail. Our email is spewcast at gmail dot com, or you can send us a howler by sending us a voice memo there, clicking the link in the description. Or if you live in the U.S., you can give us a call at 407-706-SPEW. That's 407-706-7739. You can also check us out on Twitter. We're at Spectrum People. We're on Facebook as well. It's facebook.com slash spewcast. We're on Instagram at spewpod and TikTok at spewcast. And as always, we'd like to thank Joan Burr for our theme music. Until next time, I'm Quirinus. And I'm Lavender. And as Luna Lovegood says... Don't worry, you're just as sane as I am. Bye!